All right, welcome back, guys. Another podcast episode here for you. This one is long overdue, um, and I, I'll start out with an apology. Uh, this was a message that I came across on Instagram, and we had messaged back and forth starting in January. Um, I missed it. Um, well, actually, I think what happened was is the message said I sent you an email. I don't know that I ever saw the email. Um, so I had messaged back and forth on that, and then we got a, I, she ended up sending me a question, a lengthy question, um, and I did not get back on it. And then I recognized that I had not gotten back on it, and I said it was a long question. So then I responded back, I, I can't believe I missed it, I apologize, um, but I think we need to do a podcast on it. So then I had marked that down as a podcast and then I got a message recently that said love your podcast Hope, hoping that you soon will do a podcast on this um, so I apologize I believe her name is Lorraine um, and she's got a she's got a really nice little dog so we're gonna we're gonna talk about her dog here we're gonna address her question I think it's an interesting question um, it's a good question it will I think it will help others that's part of the reason why we're doing this as a podcast episode um, but I also am going to touch on it because it's, it, there's a, a, a few things that are a little surprising to me in it, um, a little bit of a twist. So in a good way. So, uh, I'm going to start out way back in the beginning from the early message that I got in January. I'll read you through it. It's a lengthy one. There's a couple lengthy ones here. So bear with me on it as I read, read through to give you some background on it and also kind of refresh my memory on it. Um, I'll start it out here. It says, hi, I'm from England. Um, and I have been following you on your YouTube. I've been getting a lot of tips and inspiration from your training with Bella. Love the fact that you keep it simple and straightforward. I have a working English Springer Spaniel, Reggie. He is my first gun dog, and I've trained, and I've trained my, him myself. I'm trying, and I'm pretty proud of his retrieving. It's taken a lot of time, blood, sweat, and a whole lot of tears, but we got there. My question is, would it be fair to say that some dogs are more naturally hard hunting than others, as I often wonder if his desire to hunt on his own on occasion far outweighs anything I can do or say to get him to obey on the shooting field whilst flushing pheasants? I think I would say while over here. I think they say whilst over there. Flushing pheasants on the beating line. This isn't all the time, just on occasion. I was watching a video of yours about how no dog is perfect. A lot of spaniels I know are timid and not as hard hunting as my Reggie. He is a fearless hunter. Thank you, Lorraine. So I missed that. And then she sent another message to me, which I'm glad she did. A couple weeks later, it said, Hi, I'm sorry to be a pain. Oh, excuse the girls in the back, or boys in the background here. I got a couple pups in here. It says, Hi, sorry to be a pain, but I feel like you're the only hope with my working... Springer Spaniel Reggie. Um, she says some very nice things about me. She says, you're, you're an amazing trainer with qualities and, and a unique uniqueness to it and knowledge. So I thank you for that. I've never seen a dog like this before in training. Reggie is clever but bold and very hard hunting. And when we go to a shoot, he'll stay close on the first cover and hunt. Flush with me, but by the time he gets to the third cover... He'll completely blank the whistle and his paw will go up and his eyes will glaze over and he'll start shaking and there's nothing I can do to get him to respond to my commands. I've tried everything. 
I've literally racked my brains on how I can solve this. He's such a clever, good dog, sharp on recall, sharp on the sit to the whistle, steady on retrieves, heels on and off lead, brilliant house dog with manners, and knows his boundaries. Steady around livestock, but when the f- when he is in the pheasant scent, as we go through the drive, he just ignores it and he can't like he cannot see me. So that was her s- second message. Now, that's when I said that I missed her message. Um, then we went back and forth on a few, and now we're here. And the last message says, Hey there, I love your podcast and the way you explain psychology aspect of dog training. Hopefully soon you'll do a podcast and shed some light on whether or not hard hunting dogs, like my older Springer, who is hard to control and shoots whilst flushing pheasants. So that's, to summarize it, she's got a dog. So, and I'll break, I'll go back a little bit because what I, that, that's a lot of information, um, but it still leaves plenty of questions for me. And I don't have the luxury of conversation with Lorraine. So I have to make some assumptions. Well, you know what they say about making assumptions. I don't, I try not to. So I, I went to their page, which is a Reggie, my boy and Queenie, which is uh, her, her page. I believe it's Lorraine with her, with her dog here, Reggie. It looks like she got, maybe got a couple other dogs here too. Um, now she said that this was her first gun dog that she had trained. Um, I think it says Reggie, he is my first gun dog and I have trained him myself. And she's pretty proud of the retrieving. I watched the video, or I watched her. I looked at her page, and I would say you have quite a bit to be proud of. I, 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 I am. So it was really interesting because the way I read this, and this is kind of a reminder to me too. As I read people's questions, I shouldn't assume stuff. I envisioned a dog that is much, that is nowhere near as under control as as what I see in your in your stories and in your feed, I guess in your feed, I guess it would be, but very nice dog. So, so you've done a wonderful job from what I'm seeing, unless you're just a highlight reel person and only show the good stuff, which that could be too. But even if it is, there's a lot of good stuff there. So I would be led to believe that knowing and training enough dogs, I I would say, if you can collect that much nice footage, you're doing something right. So I will say that I was impressed with the dogs. This is my personal feeling. Now, you were doing drills. It wasn't on a live hunt. So the live hunt and the drills are different, and we know that. We'll talk about that. But while in drills, like you say, I would agree, you've got very nice control. Dogs got wonderful style. Um, Really fun to watch. Uh, A very spaniel-like look to it uh, while working. Great tail action. Um, nice dog. I, I, fun to watch. Fun to watch because they're doing exactly what they love to do and are born to do. So, but that's natural. But all the other parts of it, I, I see you're, you've got some nice whistle work with the dog. I saw a video where, and I didn't look at all your videos, but I looked at them briefly here before we did this. I saw a real nice memory set up. Um, just a very, very good looking dog. Not very old, I don't think. I don't know if you said how old the dog is in this at all. I don't think I saw it. Um, dog's pretty young, and I think that that, that, that need I'm assuming, and I think that you have to keep that in mind. So this is going to maybe be a disappointing answer to you because of the simplicity of it, um, and I'm not saying this is the, the end-all, be-all fix, but 
This is just what came to my mind when I read it. So, and I'll break it down a little, I'll simplify it, and, and I hope I'm accurate with my description. You've got a dog that's got very nice start in training, very nice control in training. Um, like I said, it's got a great little natural hunt. Now, what I think the, def, the defined points that need to be made here are the style of hunting that you're doing. I, I believe you talked about walking up as a beater. Um, and so different than what we do over here from a hunting standpoint, you, you've got it here. Uh, I often wonder if it's his desire to hunt or his own occasion or on his own occasions far outweigh anything I can do or say to get him to obey on the shooting field whilst flushing pheasants on the beating line. So as long as I understand it the way I think I do, you're, you're, you're doing like walk-ups where you're driving birds out of cover. I imagine there are shooters um, on pegs at a distance, and you're coming through the line beating pushing driving we call it driving over here so you're driving birds out one end now we don't necessarily we hunt pheasants similar to that i would say but like the difference would be the the beaters the drivers the ones that are working their dogs quartering their dogs through the cover are the shooters as well so we don't necessarily post up we do sometimes i guess uh when we hunt row crops and stuff we'll have posters on the end of it and we'll we'll move birds through and run birds through to the end, and they typically flush at the end of a, of a egg field, like a corn, you know, standing corn or something like that. But it, I've, it, it's a different style of hunting than what you're doing to what I'm doing. And so I don't know necessarily all the rules, and I don't know the rules that apply. So here, maybe this, maybe this is a, hey, sounds like a good idea, but I can't do it over here because of this, this, or this. But here's my thought with it. You said that you get through the first cover, um, it says Reggie is clever, but but bold and very hard hunting. He'll stay close on the first cover, hunt and flush with me. But by the time he gets to the third cover, he'll completely blank the whistle. His paws go up, his eyes glaze over, and he's shaking with and and he'll start shaking. And there's nothing I can do to get him to respond to my commands. So he's overexcited, and he's become kind of checked out with you as the handler. By the time and he's hunting on his own, it sounds like to me, he's hunting for himself. So it sounds like when you start out, it's good. The first drive is always good, but by the third one, you lose them. So here's, here's my thought to that. And again, like, I don't know if this is allowed or not. Like, I don't know if these are real formal shoots or if this is something where it's you and a group of friends or I don't, I don't know how, how that necessarily works because it is different than what I'm used to over here. But if it were me, and this I can speak with confidence on, if it were me and I were pheasant hunting or grouse hunting or doing something with my dog that was going to require some flushing, quartering and flushing, I'd work the dog through that first cover, which you say is good and it's the way I want it. And the second I start to see the dog move, I call it almost boiling over, like it's starting, you can just see it, the, the pace is picking up, that look is starting to come on. We're going to start, you know the dog well. I can tell by watching your videos, you know the dog well. So about the time you know it's going to happen, I'd back up from that a little bit and say, okay, it's happening. So while you still have control of Reggie, I'm going to stop him to the whistle and I'm going to recall him. And if the, if the hunt is on and we're mid-hunt, like here's the beauty of what, what, what I like to do, especially with young dogs, like I think Reggie is, 
I hunt a lot of my own with the dog. So that I'm not, I'm not holding anybody else up. I'm not getting in the way of anybody else. I'm not creating any issues with a group. It's just me and the dog, and it allows me to do this. I start to see the dog boil over. It's coming up. That it, it's, it's, you can tell it's coming on. I stop the dog. Recall the dog while I still have control because you've got that for a while, you said. And then I'd put the dog on lead, and I'd just work the dog under control and maybe the hunting isn't going to be as good. Maybe you're in prime spot where you go, oh, man, there's full of birds in here. Okay. But you know what's going to happen if you release the dog to hunt. You're going to lose the control, and then its floodgates are open. And there's no way to stop that. You don't stop the water once you open the floodgates. Like It's not just an on-off switch. So once, you, once they're open, good luck. So instead of letting them open... I would shut the gate at the first sign of the water getting to be a little too much. And so put the dog back on lead and heal the dog. If you can do it off lead, great. If you can't do it off lead, take the extra step of control and put a lead on. And then what you're doing is you're just kind of taking that dog down a few pegs as far as notches of excitement. So you went from quartering and casting to the point where we're going to start to lose control to the other side of the spectrum. So we were on one end, and then we went to the extreme on the other end. And so we took all that control away. We took all that freedom away because we knew Reggie was going to make a bad choice. And that's where reading the dog comes in. Like, if I know he's about to get that crazy look in his eye, I do. So a micro version of this is when I, when I start to, um, if I walk up on a dog that's, let's say I put a dog on a remote sit. And I back up and I start to make some circles around the dog. And all of a sudden I can see that dog. His eyes start to flutter a little bit. He starts to look to the side. He's not focusing on me. He's, his feet, I can sense their feet are going to start moving. And about the time that they start to do that, I know that if I keep doing what I'm doing, if I keep staying away from them, if I keep walking in the circle, they're going to lose their focus and break. Like I can see it coming. So the second I see it, I make a little shuffle with my feet. It gets their attention. I start to move towards them, directly towards them. I don't put too much pressure on them, but not enough, not so little that they feel like they have the freedom to move. And I get back into position and I get a hold of the lead and I say, heal. And I reset them and we take two steps and we tell them to sit and we do it again. So instead of allowing the dog to get to the point where it got so anxious and had so much time that it broke, I went back to it. I saved it. So then I go, got done with that. Now I do it again. I took two steps and I told the dog, heel, sit, good. And I start over because I just reset the clock. And now I back out and I start to walk my circle. And if it took me, if it took me, you know, internal clock was running and it was 22 seconds is when that dog started to get antsy. So now what I do is I go out and I start my little routine. And at about 20 seconds, I start working my way back to the dog under control. And by the time 22 seconds comes by, I'm close enough to the dog that I've got their eyes. They watched me. I come over. I get the lead. I tell them good. I take another step. Sit. And I do it again. And this time I go 22, 21 seconds and work my way back. And all of a sudden we did it two, three, four times in a row, right around that 22, 23, 21 second mark, no fails, dog did well. So now I'm gonna reset that, and maybe it, maybe not today, maybe it's tomorrow, because the session might be going too long. But if, it's, if we got another rep in there, then I go, all right, I'm gonna push it out to 23 seconds. I added a second to it. And we didn't break down. 
And but I feel like we're getting close, so I take a start taking my steps back to the dog. And in about 24 seconds, I get back to the dog. 25 seconds, I get back to the dog, and the dog didn't fail. And I tell them they're good, and I reset it. And in that four or five different repetitions, back to back to back to back to back, we went from 22 seconds was too long and failed, to 20 seconds is good, to 21 seconds is good, to 22 seconds is good, to 23 seconds is good, to 24 seconds is good, and now we're done for the day. And so I went from 22 seconds in fail to 24 seconds in good. Now you're looking, you're listening to me and you're going, yeah, but it's two freaking seconds. Correct. It is two seconds. And those two seconds are real important because if you divide it out, it's 10% increase. 10% is pretty significant. Although it was only 22 seconds, two seconds added onto it is significant. So don't get into the point where we have to get these huge jumps every time of improvement instead start taking little tiny tiny baby steps and it and at some point in this process we actually went backwards if you recall we started out at 22 seconds and failed so i went back to 20 and got good got a good rep out of it so to me i would rather have 20 seconds solid than 22 seconds that are faded out and watery at the end with the with, so how does so relate this back to the hunt you went on your first drive it was good but at some point during that second drive, by the third drive, you told me you lost all control. The glazed eyes are, the eyes are glazed over. He's shaking with excitement. You don't have a chance at that point. You're not reeling him back in at that point. The floodgates are wide open. The boil over is happening. You need to start to dial the heat back on the stove. Envision a pot on a stove with water. It starts out where it just you can see the water moving, like, and then there's a little steam, and then there's these little bubbles on the very bottom of the bowl or the pan that start to form. They're on the bottom. They're stuck to the bottom. They're little bubbles, though. That's, there's action going on there. Then all of a sudden, they start to slowly release from the bottom and float to the top, and then that speeds up a little bit, and then that speeds up a little bit, and next thing you know, your top of your pot of water is white and rolling over the top and the flames are firing up and you're hearing the hiss and the, oh my God, we're, pan- we're, we're boiling over. What do we do? And it's, you, do, you will not stop the boil at that point. The only thing you can do is take it off the stove. The mess is already there. So what we don't want to do is wait till the third drive. I don't know how many drives you do in a day or how many drives you do in a hunt or whatever, but back to my analogy or the way we hunt over here. So let's say I walk a first cover and I get about two-thirds through the cover, and we flushed a few birds. And maybe we even shot a bird or two and retrieved it. And then I start to see the range get a little bit bigger. The response to my whistle is a little bit less crisp, a little less timely. I have to call the dog three times to get him back to me instead of one. At that point, I have to recognize the rapid boil is taking place. And if I leave the stove on any longer, we're going to lose it. So what do I do? Reel them back in. Well, I still can reel them back in. And if it's me just hunting by myself, a lot of times what I'll do is just stop and stand still. I don't do anything. I just call them back. Good. Sit. Good. And they're usually pretty, you read their body language and they're, they're panting pretty hard. They're huffing. They're puffing. I might give them a drink of water. I might get somewhere where there's water by there so I can stop, give them a drink. If he wants to grab a drink and go, No, 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 Reggie. Here, sit. 
And Reggie has to sit down. Reggie says, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Well, a lot of us get excited with the hunt and we figure, well, we got to get our birds. And the only way we're going to get our birds is we got to cover a lot of ground. So we just go, go, go. And the pace of the hunt continues to speed up for, for a variety of reasons. I think you have to look at these early hunts as nothing more than training. They're training sessions. And so when you do your training sessions, I've watched your training sessions on your, on your feed. They're good. So pra- maintain the pace necessary in the hunt that you did all throughout your training process. And I'd be willing to bet that you, Lorraine, did not always go real fast in training. I bet you slowed down. I bet you there were times when Reggie was going to get really excited and you said, no, 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 Reggie, come here, sit down, slow down, take a deep breath. Let's regroup, refocus. And then there were times where you were training with Reggie and you went, it's getting a little long. And as it gets longer, it gets worse. And as it gets worse, we're trying to just find something to end on a positive note and that gets hard to do. So what I think we, what I think Here's, here's my thought is, and I, again, like I don't know what you can and can't do from a hunt standpoint, but run the dog through the first cover and then take a little break. Run the dog through the second cover and about the time the dog starts to get a little bit wound tight, check them out. Put them on the lead. Finish that second drive on the lead if you have to. And just tell people ahead of time, hey, when my dog starts to get out of control, he starts to get over that momentum going too fast for me to be able to maintain, I'm going to call him back to me and we're going to throttle back. We're going to take the foot off the gas. We're going to turn the heat down on the stove and we're going to let the dog work through that cover under control. And that means he might not be out beating and flushing. He might not be out quartering. And just get with a group that says, Lorraine, I understand that. Thank you for, you know, thanks for looking at the hunt as more important to maintain the control and the continuity of the hunt rather than just letting your dog hunt. You know, it, it all depends on the situation, but some people I've hunted with aren't very enjoyable to hunt with because they could give a shit about the hunt. They just care about their dog. They just want their dog to get a lot of experience, a lot of opportunities, a lot of exposure. And that makes a miserable hunt for some people. So I really like and appreciate the person that says, about the time that that this dog is going to take away from the experience of the hunt, I'm going to call him back and I'm just going to heal him out. Now, he's not going to offer nearly as much benefit to the group, but I guarantee you I the group appreciates it more than the idea of a dog just doing his own thing. And a trainer or a handler yelling at him or hollering at him or being pissed off about it and getting frustrated. And it's just a real, real downward spiral. And that has, it has a snowball effect in a negative way. And what I think we need to do is start to look at these hunts as I'm going to hunt him through the first one. And as long as he does well, we'll hunt into the second one. And then we know that's usually where we start to see some symptoms. So we'll throttle back. And what we'll do is similar to that idea of the remote sit that I was talking about. Instead of going 20 seconds, we're going to 22 seconds, we're going to go 20. So the next hunt, we'll hunt until it gets a little close to being too much. And then I'm going to call Reggie back. I've done this, Lorraine, with dogs before. Uh, I did it with Bella last year um, when I hunted her in the Grousewoods. She got a little rangy on me at times. She'd get 
a little into it. I mean, she'd really get into it. And she'd just get out a little too far. And once she got a little too far on me, I would lose track of her. She'd be out. She was beyond my eyesight. So, and I don't put call. I, I don't use training collars. I don't use a shock collar. I don't use a GPS collar. So I didn't know where she was. And she got outside of my sight. And if they're outside of my sight, I don't know where they are. And so I, when that happened, very quickly, I recognized that's too far. So I would stop her short of going that any further. I'd let her hunt. I'd let her get out and quarter. But as soon as she'd get out too far to the point where she, I'm about, I can see we're about to go over the hill, I would stop her, recall her back to me, and we'd start again. And if she continued to do it, if she just kept going and pushing that limit as far as distance and range, then I would say, okay, clearly you, you don't understand what we're trying to do here and you're, you're going the wrong way as far as progress. So what I would do is recall her back all the way to me and then I'd have her heal. Now, I, I hunted a lot of the year. I hunted with multiple dogs. Um, just it was a, a great way to get more work in with the dogs. So I would heal one dog throughout the most of the day. I would always keep at, le- at least one of the dogs on heel. And then I'd, I'd quarter out in front with one or two, depending on which dogs they were. And so there were times there that Bella just missed her turn to quarter. She healed. And, and she got, and then what was really nice about that was we kept moving. Like we weren't standing still. Now standing still is an option too. just slow down and stop. Let the dog regroup, let the dog kind of catch its breath, clear its mind. But the other, that's not what we were doing. What we were doing was we were continuing to move through the cover, but instead of having her out to quarter and cast, she was just going to heal on my side. And I, we were off lead. It really didn't bother me that much. It wasn't that inconvenient. And I would just, she'd get to the point where she'd heal. And then she'd get to the point where she knew I'm going to be here a while. And she'd fade back a bit. She'd end up, because we're in pretty thick cover. Like it's it's obnoxiously thick at times, like hard to get through. So she would end up kind of falling behind me a bit and following my, as I broke trail through this brush and cover, she would kind of follow behind me. I had no problem with that. Because when she, once she did that, she was basically telling me, I'll be here a while. I'll follow you. You tell me when you want me to go back out. And so we would do that for a little while. And then I'd say, okay, now she's going to the opposite end of the spectrum. And she's going to into this really nice spot of healing behind me. And so then I would say, let's change it. Okay. And I'd release her. Okay, let's go. And all of a sudden, out she'd go. And she'd look at me. Cool. Go and hunt. And if she got too far, we're stopping her. So it's a, it's a constant. It's, it's nothing static it's 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 fluid it's not it's not stationary it's not a you always quarter or you always heal it's sometimes you're going to quarter sometimes you're going to heal it's back and it's forth it's a little movement and it's adjusting it constantly so i think i would try that and and i would do that with because again i don't know the age of reggie and i i I know I think what you probably were looking for is what could I do in drills to gain the control? Now, I'll give you some ideas on that too. I think it's slowly working in front of more distractions. So one of the things that we have is we have pen birds. We have pheasants that are in the, in the corn crib here. Uh, I keep them. I use them for training. But we have birds, and I'll work the dogs near the birds 
when they when we had people here for the workshop, a lot of dogs could not work very close to those birds because they became such a distraction that you had zero chance to maintain your dog's focus. But by the end of the weekend, most of the dogs had gotten a little bit used to it and understood that they had to listen first. The birds were secondary. That's how I like them. My dogs, hell, I can't get them to... I, I can have pheasants walk across the front yard and I can't get dogs to flush them because they are looking at me going, I know this game. I have to listen to you. This is... this is. It used to be very tempting. Now, I'm, now they look at me and go, oh, I bet you he's going to send me for a dummy or something, try to trick me. They, I have to encourage them if I want them to go chase one of those birds. Now, that happens in our yard often because we're consistent with it. But as soon as we get out in the field and they start smelling birds, as long as I'm quartering them out, it takes about one bird for them to kind of go back to the idea of we're back in the game. We're back playing this game of find them and flush them. But I like having the ability and I'm able to have the ability to control that and turn the volume up or turn the volume down depending on what my desires are. And the dogs are real willing to work with me that way. And that 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 didn't happen the first season. It didn't happen the first year. It took a while. So I don't I don't know how old Reggie is, but I say let's let's maybe try that this season and work through the season that way. Because part of it can be mental maturity. And and that's just something you can't you cannot speed up you you can speed up training with certain things i don't know that i like it the idea of speeding up training with some things i suppose but most things i think i would rather say slow them down that ultimately speeds them up if you're going too fast that's when you get into trouble so with training you adjust your pace accordingly and appropriately with maturity like physical maturity and mental maturity we don't have a lot of control of that. We do have to recognize it and work within it. Like we got we have to recognize it and we have to react accordingly. And so young young dogs like that, and just let them grow up a little bit. Give them some time. Be patient with it. But you physically can control a lot of that stuff doing what we just talked about. So I'm gonna send you a message here. Uh, first off, I. I appreciate your patience. So I don't, I don't think you don't have the patience. I don't think you don't have the chops or the skills because I've seen your Instagram stories. I think you got really lot, a lot going for you. And so I think hearing this hopefully brings a little bit of clarity to it for something to try. Um, again, it's a message, so it's hard for me to necessarily... Maybe I'm missing some really key components. Maybe you're going to say, can't do it. If I go on one of these hunts, I can't elect to not run in the second one or the third one. Well, then maybe don't go on those hunts for a while. Go find something else that you can have a little bit more ability. I always talk about the transition from training to hunting. They're not the same. Training is different than hunting. No matter how hard we try to make it the same, it's different. And so hunting is something that our dogs do eventually. We get to hunt them. Training is something we do initially and ongoing. I don't think that ever ends. But there is a middle part there that's transitioning prior to hunting and during training that we have to transition them from training to hunting. And that can take a while. There's no set amount of time on that. There's no like, hey, 
we've hunted three times now, so we're ready to go. It, it's not based on that. It's just based on how the dog adjusts and adapts. We can control it and influence it ourselves by setting them up in certain ways. And so I think that's what we need. That's, that's exactly what this whole podcast was about, was setting the dog up to go from training to, to hunting and transition along the way. And it, to me, it sounds like you're in the middle of that. So Lorraine, thank you for your patience. Thank you for the message uh, or the question. I'm going to shoot you. Uh, I'm going to shoot you a note and let you know we recorded it. Ben will get it up live. Get it up pretty quick, can't you? Oh, we have one that's going to go today, but Wednesday probably. We'll turn it this week for you. So um, thank you so much. Appreciate you guys' support. Uh, do me a favor if you're listening on a, a app or some type of listening device platform that has the ability to review, do reviews or ratings, I would really appreciate it if you did that. I think it's really important for us to try to figure out our, we're trying to figure out the best way to help the most people. And the, we have, what we have found or what we believe is it's to get it to more people. And so one of the best ways for us to be able to share this with more people is to have more ratings and more have, have more ratings and have more reviews because that will allow it to be looked at differently from these apps to be able to recommend it to people that are interested in these topics. So please, if you would do us that favor, what are we at right now? 200 and some on, we're at 208, I think, ratings. I was reading them the other, the other day. Um, we're at like 200 and some ratings on our i, what is it called? Apple, Apple podcast. Um, do other podcast apps have that? Spotify doesn't. Spotify does not. I don't he know said. About the other we'll have to look. But if you would do me a favor, if if you have that ability to do it, I'd really appreciate it. It would mean a lot to Ben. Maybe that's what it takes is making Ben happy. So thank you guys for your support. Appreciate it greatly. We're going to continue to do them. We've got a couple other topics that we've handpicked and we'll be doing. And then I've got a few that have been brewing in, in my head as well. So lots going on here. Lots of exciting things. Lots of things continuing to come um, as this summer really is flying by. we got 4th of July coming up this week. Um, probably going to talk a little bit, maybe talk a little bit. We've done it in the past on f- fireworks. we got to be concerned and cautious of that because uh, the, le- the least amount of gun-shy dogs in the world is, is the best when it comes to hunting dogs. So we've got that coming up. We'll talk on that a little bit. Um, or maybe I'll just pull up what podcast we did talk on that. But you guys have a great week. We'll be talking soon. <laughs>